now this morning's kind of a different morning. We're talking about a passage that uses the phrase, wives submit to your husbands. And I've kind of been joking all week that the fact that we were doing country music today in no way had anything to do with that. Uh, but, but I want to I go at it a little different than normal, and we're going to maybe do a little bit more application than we usually do. When I was in uh, seminary, I was in this teaching class, and what I was told was you need to interpret Scripture, and then you apply Scripture. And I would get up for, for my things to get graded on, and I would just talk history and theology and philosophy for 40 minutes, and then the guy would say, time's up, and I'd be done. And, and he'd come up, Ken, you can't do that. I'm like, well... <laughs> But that's what I like to do, you know, and he, so then he gave me a C. So if you, um, if you don't like my teaching, now you know why. It's because I do it wrong. Um, but hopefully we'll get a little bit more application today. Uh, but let's, let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, uh, it's just good to be here. It's good to be with people that we're in relationship with. It's good to to see the good things about church, which is your plan. And um, I just pray that you would just guard this church, you'd protect it, that you would nurture it, that it really would be a, a group of people that together bring glory to you. That, that the way we live, the way we love, the things we do, the way we serve, even just the joy in our lives, that these things would just be a testimony um, to the fact that you exist, that you're there, and that you love us and that you're good. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you can, turn to 1 Peter. And we're going to be in chapter 3 of, uh, of Peter. And if you remember, if you were here or if you weren't, kind of the, the, the flow of thought is Peter really has spoken to who, who we are, what our identity is. And we're God's people. We're, we're kind of being pulled together into this, this priesthood and this this holy spiritual house that all of us join together really are going to bring, bring praise to God. And, and he ends that whole section with saying, let your good deeds kind of be out there that people will see that and then, then look at God and say, wow, that's a great God because look at the way these people are li living. And then Peter gets a little practical with it and he starts talking about submission. Because just like Jesus said, it's easy to love those who love you. What's hard and what's praiseworthy is to love your enemy, to love those that hate you. And kind of Peter in a similar vein says, submission's easy. Like, I've, I've never had a hard time submitting to Christmas. Uh, Ken, it's your turn for a present. No, no, I'm not going to submit to that. Um, I don't want that kind of treatment. No, I mean, it's easy when things are coming our way to, to go along with it. The, the real difficulty is when we're suffering, and Peter's writing to people who are, who are enduring suffering, and it's hard to submit to that. It's hard to endure. It's hard to do good when evil is being done against you, or it's hard to keep your faith when everywhere you look, stuff is crumbling. And Peter says you need to submit, and you need to be patient, and you need to trust your God, and says submit to your bosses. And I've reminded my staff all week. And that was thunder from the Lord, which is an amen. Uh, which, I think I've told this story, but 
and I got to tell it again now, but when we were in Burundi in February, I was giving a devotional to the World Relief staff in Burundi, and it was through an interpreter, and I was talking about Psalm 23, and I tried to make the point that, that it treats us like sheep in Psalm 23, and sheep are stupid animals. And so we're the sheep, and so we're stupid animals. We're, we're like stupid animals. And, and I was trying to just be a little bit humble. Um, sometimes you can fool people if you pretend you're humble. And I'm just kidding. Um, and, I, and I said, you know, I work with a girl who reminds me often that I'm stupid. Her name's Kim, you know. Uh, and it didn't translate well. And in that culture, that's just something you wouldn't do, Kim. And so all these... <laughs> All these Burundians didn't hear anything else I said the rest of the time, and they kind of came up afterwards, and it's like, she should be fired. And uh, <laughs> So submit to your bosses. Bring them coffee. I don't know. Um, and it says, slaves submit. And it says, submit to your government. It, and basically, the idea here is, is get along with it. Get along with it. So much as it's within your power to do this, don't react to every little thing. Have you ever known that guy like in high school or, or college? It's usually a guy, but it's got that short fuse. And, and you say one word and, and, and it's, what do you mean by that? You know, it's like, whoa, dude, I was just asking if you had a nice day. You know, and, and they, they just react to everything. And Peter's saying, don't be like that. I mean, when the government does stuff, just mellow out, try to get along with it, and not react and show the character that's befitting somebody that really treats this life and this world as if we're strangers here. And, and there, there's somebody over it all that we can trust, and in trusting him, we can get along with it and endure suffering a little bit. And when wrong is done, we don't have a short fuse and just respond and react with the same kind of a thing. And so this is where Peter's going, and then he gets to this passage in, in chapter 3, and it begins this way, and it says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Let me read that again. Wives, in the same way, just like everyone else has to get along and, and endure some things because we have a God we can trust, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. So that if any of them do not believe, that they may be won over without words. Can you imagine that? Without nagging without talking without preaching without words it's just there's something about the life that wins these people over and they're won over by the behavior of their wives and so i want to stop there for a second and i want to talk about three things that we get wrong as we launch into this passage three things that we get wrong and i think it'll help frame the rest of it as we talk to wives and then ultimately talk to the men and i say men because um I think I said husbands in the outline, but in my mind I just went to men because I think one of the, the, the biggest things is men are going to be leaders in this, and so we've got to start training the younger guys that aren't married yet to be worthy of this kind of a thing. So I say men on purpose. But here's three things we get wrong. We get the word wrong, number one. We get the word wrong. I, I was kind of frustrated with God this week. I was like, why in the middle of all this FLDS, the thing going on in Texas, and all the religious kind of abuse of women and children going on, and it's using authoritative type writings to control and manipulate people. Why in the middle of all this do I have to run into this passage at this point in time? And I was kind of like 
frustrated, you know. Maybe no one will notice. I'll just skip over it, God. And, and, uh, and one of the things that's going on here is the reason we get so prickly about it is because we really get the word wrong. The English word submit, it, it means to get along with or to come under authority, but it really has this sense in which someone loses and someone wins. If you've flipped the channels at all in the last year or so, you've probably come across um, ultimate fighting. And ultimate fighting is, is mixed martial arts, and it's boxing, and it's wrestling, and it's, um, and it's martial arts. And, and these guys kind of go crazy at each other. And one of the things they can do to win is to take an arm or a leg and to bend it up so much that the other guy taps out. The other guy submits rather than have his arm broken or his leg broken or something like that. And so there he is shamed while the other guy is victorious because this guy submitted that guy. And this guy submitted to the other guy. Does that make sense? That's the English word submit, I think, when we kind of take and, and hear it. Or it's those, those people that are being abused spiritually are being commanded, you submit and I'm going to win, you're going to lose, and it really has this kind of weird vibe to it. And Kip's dad last week talked about how it's a military term that means kind of to come into alignment with like a, a hierarchy or an authority structure. I had a Greek prof professor that was just adamant, he was absolutely adamant that the current English word that translates best here is the word yield. It's the word yield. And the idea and the picture of yield doesn't take away anything of what Peter's trying to say, but it gets us out of this win-lose kind of a thing. Yield, if you imagine going down an on-ramp to a freeway, and you know there's two cars, and one of them has to defer to the other and to yield and get behind it. Or if you're going to go somewhere and some car is going to follow another car, one car has to yield and get behind the other car. One leads and one follows. Does that make sense? And that's really where Peter's taken us. And it doesn't soft-pedal anything. Peter's really saying here that guys need to lead. But it's not that guys win and gals lose. And that takes us to the next point. The audience. I remember hearing in high school all the, you know, guys make a living of finding these passages. Have you ever noticed that? They go to their youth pastor and they're like, where are those passages? I know they're in there, you know. And then they, they use them or something like that. And it's, Peter is not talking to the men and the women in this church. He's talking to the women about the unbelievers outside of this church. And he's trying to counsel the women, hey, one of the ways you're going to glorify God or, or be a witness to God is how you choose to trust God enough to get along even when it's bad or even when it's unjust, or even when it's difficult. And in, if you do this, it's going to win people over because there's a type of character, and we're going to see that in a minute. But it's not a battle between men and women inside the church. The audience that Peter's got going here is the women and then those outside of the church. He's saying you can make a difference with the way these people see God by how you live. We need to understand that because I think sometimes we get so ingrown that we think every text has to do with just us and this text isn't a man-woman battle. And the scope of it. So the first thing we get wrong is the word. The second thing we get wrong is the audience. The third thing we get wrong is the scope. This passage does not say women submit to men. 
And I think it's really important that we understand that. I think some men walk into a room and think, just because I'm a man and that's a woman, the Bible's telling her she needs to submit to me, and absolutely not. She's supposed to follow her husband. That is her duty. That is how she's going to bring glory to God, and you are not over her in any way, shape, or form. Um, this is not talking to men and women. This is talking to wives, and then it's going to go on and talk to husbands. Do you guys understand that? It's huge. And men, teach your sons that someday they will care for their kids and they will care for their wives. Do not teach them to walk around as if they're better than or over than a woman that somehow happens to be in their life or around them or they want to exercise control over. That's not okay and that's abuse. Okay, so those are three things we get wrong. Now here's what we're, we're saying, and let's get into some practical stuff. Speaking to the wives, first thing is this, respect your husband. It says, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. There's no getting around it. The Bible is saying, respect your husband. And you don't respect him just because he's respectable. You respect him because God has asked you to respect him. Let him lead. Encourage him to lead. Help him grow. Work hard at it. Put him out in front. Affirm him. You know, we all learned from the big fat Greek wedding movie that um, even if the guy is the head, the, the wife is the neck that turns the head. So it's okay. You can still control. <laughs> Just kidding. You know, here's something interesting. There's, there's this book that a bunch of women in our church are reading through, and, and so I, I tried to run to it because I was like, maybe I can avoid making statements that, you know, I'm going to get lampooned for. I'll let a woman speak to women. But one of the interesting things is that this lady goes in here and basically says, you know, the more you respect men, the more respectable they become. You, you, you don't wait till they're respectable. You treat them... You treat them the way God would want you to treat them, and they'll become that. And I kind of thought about that, and I was like, you know what? That's true. Guys, the stakes, when the stakes are raised, we respond. The only time we cook is when it's um, a barbecue, and there's fire and explosives and danger, you know. And it's, so that's when we cook, and when the stakes go up, guys respond. That's why women don't understand the whole when we're lost thing, okay? Let's, let's just for once and for all get this out there. Okay, the reason you ladies don't understand this is because you're sitting there and the guy's driving and he's lost and you think there's one objective. And the objective is to get where we're going as fast and efficient as we can. And so you get really frustrated. What you don't realize is the guy has two objectives. To get where he's going and to do it himself. Okay. He's reliving cops and robbers and his adventures of being a little kid where, where it's this grand thing and, and he's like, the whole world's against him and he's solving this riddle and he's like developing this hero thing in his mind and he's going off and he's role playing again. He's back to 10 years old and then you get mad at him and it's like when his mom would yell at him, like come in for dinner and, and the guy gets mad. You just ruined it. You ruined it. I'm, I'm, you know, and then he starts doing because now, like, you ruined it. 
you've got to raise the stakes for guys. And when they're lost, there's high stakes, and they eat it up. I'm not going to stop for a map. This is, if it takes me my whole life, <laughs> I will find that destination. You need to realize that. Okay? Don't doubt me. We will arrive. Just, just be patient. Play along. You can be the heroine. You know, respect me. But women, it says respect your husbands. Yield to them. Let them lead. Respect them and they will grow into respectability. And that falls into the second one. And, and it's this. Affirm what there is rather than criticize what there isn't. When dealing with your husbands, affirm what there is rather than criticize what there isn't. It hits right at the heart of this passage in Peter. It talks about Jesus and, and we're following his example. And, and what good does it do is if you bear up under um, just suffering, but if you bear up under unjust suffering, like there's a, a patience aspect, a trust aspect, and, and so you can wait it off. You don't have to point out every flaw. And you can build on strengths and affirm. And so wives, as part of respect, don't embarrass your husbands and help them grow by affirming them. I, I have a really driven, intense personality. Um, I don't go to hospital visits because I think I've said before, blood pressure goes up like 20 points the minute I walk in the room and then the nurses come along and want me to leave, you know. Um, my wife doesn't punish me for it. She doesn't punish me for that. She rounds me out and she always brings in the side that I don't see and the perspective I don't see and she helps me see beyond the surface of things. And my wife is deeper than I think anyone realizes. And she makes me a better man, not by criticizing me, but by helping me. And I think it's huge. And women affirm what there is rather than criticize what there isn't. And I think sometimes... Um, don't ever tell your husband this, okay? But treat him like one of your children, you know? He's not an adult. Um, don't argue with him. Just, you know, pat him on the head and say, good boy. Um, wow, you, you did that really well, you know? Good, you know? Um, and he'll be like, I did? I did. Well, of course I did, you know? And, and then two days later, like, you're catching him, like, flexing in front of the mirror. And then a week or two later, he's, like, going into J. Crew and, and he's buying, like, muscle shirts that are three sizes too small. And you're going you're gonna to create a big problem here. But that same little principle of affirmation and what it does to people. Guys have egos, and, and, and sometimes you just need to treat your husband like one of your children. I remember hearing a story of the late Ruth Bell Graham. And it was Billy Graham's wife and at a dinner with a bunch of dignitaries there and, and heads of state, someone leaned across to her and said, um, Ruth, how do, you, how do you keep your husband humble? He meets with all these presidents, all these leaders of countries. He's around all these power players and they ask him for advice and, and all this other stuff. How do you keep him from becoming proud and and I love the answer she said. She just looked at this person and real quickly says, you know, it's my job to love Billy. It's God's job to keep him humble. It's my job to love Billy. It's God's job to keep him humble. You don't have to point out all the flaws. They're there for sure. But affirm that's part of respect. The third thing here is 
Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. You know, it's interesting. These passages where somebody's going to respect somebody else, God usually puts a promise in there. And in Exodus 20, where it's in the Ten Commandments, there's one of those commandments that has a promise in it. You know which one it is? It's to the children obey your parents. And you know why there's a promise in it? Because parents aren't always worthy of obeying. It doesn't always make sense logically. They're not always right. They're not always perfect. And God is saying it doesn't matter who the parent is. Your reason for doing this is I am going to take care of you if you trust me. It's not about the quality of the parent. It's about the quality of the God that you worship and you follow. And I will take care of you. Obey your father and your mother that it may go well with you. I'm going to honor you if you do that. And what happens in here is we see the same thing. And let's read it kind of a little bit at length. Starting in verse 2, I'll kind of read through the paragraph. It says, When these men, these husbands, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, your beauty should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way that the holy women of the past um, who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. It was their character. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master or Lord. And you are daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. A couple of things in here. It talks about makeup. And I remember... I don't think this really has anything to do with the, the conversation. Back in those days, it wasn't like today where it was prevalent and it was just kind of a common part of society. He's basically saying, don't go out thinking you're going to attack society with all these weapons, so to speak, so that you gain this attention. Rather, develop who you are and live the way God wants you to live. And there's going to be this vibe about you that's going to be what I would call nobility. I mean, if you think of just the, the woman that you respect the most. And I think the word that captures that for me, and we're going to see the word noble later on, but the word that captures that for me is nobility. And so the makeup thing's kind of a, I think, a rabbit trail. But I remember hearing Chuck Swindoll one time. Chuck Swindoll is in his late 70s now, maybe his early 80s. But he was kind of always the pastor to pastors, I think, back in the, the 70s and 80s and early 90s. And he was this jolly guy. Nobody could ever say anything wrong about him or, or attack him. He was just a really nice guy with a big smile. And I remember like, watching him one time speak, and he was talking about this passage in makeup, and he kind of was twisting himself into circles, and, and he couldn't figure out where he was at. And so he finally just stopped and kind of threw up his hands and said, you know, look, my grandpa always said, if the barn needs painting. <laughs> so that was his answer to whether you should wear makeup or not. Um, so let's avoid the makeup thing and keep moving on. <laughs> but put your hope in God, ladies. 
at first I'm looking at this passage and I'm like, you know, the word submit really brings in that negative thing. You know, the word yield, my Greek professor, all this other stuff. And then I, I'm, I'm getting down and I'm like, but how do I get around the word master? You know, ouch, like, that's a rough word. He, Sarah called her husband master. You know, should all the women call her husband master? And that's not at all what it's saying here. If you know the story of Abraham and his wife, they went into a foreign land and he was a little bit wigged out that she was so pretty that if they knew that she was his wife, they were going to kill him to get her. Okay? And so he, she was technically his sister through like a half-sister kind of a thing. And so he says, tell them that, that you're my sister, that I might be safe. And so two different times they go into a land and she says, I'm his sister. And then someone's like, oh, you're on the market, and they grab her, and, and then God has to bring like plagues against this person to send Sarah back to Abraham's way. But Sarah, Sarah went, went with this horrible idea. It's this cowardly, you know, bad idea from a typical guy going, oh, I can manipulate the situation, and she's like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll go along with it. I'll, I'll say that you're my master. I'll say that you're my Lord. I'll say that I'm not your wife. I'm, I'm technically here and, and see what happens. So the point of this story is Sarah obeyed and respected and went along with her husband even in this crazy, ridiculous idea. She trusted God and went with it. And it says, it's funny, after the last one of these times, it turns right into the passage where God honored his promise to Sarah, and then all of a sudden you hear about how she's pregnant with this, this child that she'd been waiting for for decades. And God honored this woman. God protected this woman when she was over and brought plagues and pushed it back and, and had his hand on her and stuff like that. And she basically didn't analyze her, her husband's plan and say, that's ridiculous, I refuse. I'm not going anywhere further with you. She trusted God and God protected her. Now I think that we can abuse this and say, absolutize it. Women should always go with every harebrained idea that a guy comes up with and da-da-da-da-da because God's big and that's not what it's saying. I think Scripture plainly, plainly makes it clear that in cases of infidelity, um, the marriage union is no longer the same. And in physical abuse, I don't think that's what this passage is talking about. It's talking about in your day-to-day -day life, as you're going about your job and with your neighbors and with your friends, there's a type of respect that you can have for your husband that they'll be able to look at and say, that woman has nobility. It's not the makeup, it's not her hair, it's not the clothes she's wearing. She just has this way about her, this quiet, trusting, deep, meaningful, strength kind of a thing going on. And, and wow, I really respect her. We all know those women, don't we? And so we're not talking about the extreme situations here. But here's where it does get a little bit difficult. I thought of a bunch of what ifs. So maybe I'll just read these out. What if I'm married to a non-Christian? What if I have a higher IQ than my husband? It happens a lot. What if he changed? What if he treats me and my children poorly? What if he embarrasses me in public? Have you ever seen that? There's nothing more objectionable than a guy that, that does that. 
What if I make more money than my husband? What if my husband disgusts and repulses me? What if he has a pattern of making poor decisions? What if he has a sexual addiction? What if he's brought us to financial ruin? What if he can't keep a job? These are real life kinds of things, right? I don't have the answers for all of those. And I don't think we can give other people necessarily the answers for all of those kinds of things. Everyone makes their own decisions and is accountable to God and walks down their own road, so to speak. What Peter is telling us, though, is respect your husband and trust God. Even if you divorce him, you can still do it in respecting him and out of trust for God. Does that make sense? He's talking about an attitude here that you arm yourself with, that when you go into these sticky, difficult things that have difficult answers, because life is messy, that you arm yourself with a certain attitude, and you're doing it with an eye to who God is and trying to glorify Him, and then you do the best you can as you move forward. This is what he's talking about. And he points us to Sarah and says, man, it, it can get pretty tough. But you trust. Now here's the interesting thing. When husbands don't trust God like Abraham, Abraham was worried he wanted to save his own neck. He didn't trust God. I, I didn't really find it in the text, but I, I kind of in my mind had it that when Abraham had Sarah call him master, that God called Abraham idiot. It wasn't really in the Hebrew. Um, but I think that like as this was going on, God was doing this, you know. Uh, but when husbands don't trust God, sometimes wives has to, have to trust twice as much. When husbands don't trust God, sometimes wives have to trust twice as much. Now this is a curse and an opportunity. It's a curse when you are bearing the weight of having to untangle messy situations and having no help in it. That's a curse. But it's also an opportunity. This whole passage in Peter is saying, if you can endure and be patient and trust me and bear up under unjust and difficult things, I will take care of you. And you will bring glory to me because no one will understand that. Nobody will understand that. And so this curse that happens, I think, to a lot of wives is also an opportunity. And I think we need to encourage women and affirm women that are holding up underneath that. Not, not tell them and boss them around, but give them honor as they respect their husbands and try to trust God. Now, men, if we go down to verse 7, it says this, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. First thing it says, in the same way. This isn't a men-woman battle here. It's not for glory to like, be the victor and then you can subjugate the other. That's not it at all. In other passages, it talks about mutual respect for one another. Okay? So, there's a respect thing there, and in that comes, I think, this first command, and it's this, lead. Lead. 
If you don't respect somebody, you don't lead them, you leave them. You might not leave the marriage, but you walk away from taking responsibility for them because they're not of value. And we are supposed to value and nurture and embrace. Um, Paul says, husbands, love your, way, your, your wives the way that Christ loved the church. I mean, how did Christ love the church? I mean, there's nothing higher. And so we, we hold it and we cherish it and we serve it. It's servant leadership. And we try to nurture and affirm it and get with us, we just value it. And when we value something, we don't leave it, we lead it. And so men lead. And that doesn't mean just making decisions with a grunt. Mm. Like, it means leading spiritually in your home. Leading spiritually. You shouldn't be the last one to get up on Sunday mornings and get ready for church. Don't drag your feet. Lead your family. Be seen with your Bible. Let your kids know that you pray and that God answers your prayers. Lead in the way that you treat the opposite sex. Lead in the way you show respect to all people and the way you submit to your boss and the government and all these other things. Lead in the way that your daughters and your sons are going to look at you and they're going to get it. They're going to get what a Christian man is all about. And so lead well. Second thing is this. Be strong in Christ. Be strong in Christ. How are you going to lead well through the ups and downs of life? What's going to ground you? And it's going to be the fact that you're strong and grounded and you've got a foundation in Christ. There's a verse that I want you to look at here. And it's a verse that kind of changed my whole marriage around. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says this. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Well, I never really understood that fully, but I went through a season where I, I feel like I grasped a part of it. The head of the man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man. It, Peter says that you treat your wife as the weaker vessel. That's not a, a dig. It's not a gender-biased comment. It's saying, it's saying, treasure her and treat her as if she's delicate and tender and be strong. And I think this verse is saying the same thing. When I got married, I quit my job and I went back to school full time. And my wife worked. And so I would sit around reading all day and then when I'd get tired, I'd take a nap and, you know, and all this stuff. And I'd make myself a sandwich. And then I'd go pick her up at 5 o'clock at the end of the day and, and she'd have been working all day long. And she'd be crying sometimes with things going on at work and it's difficult and I, I just, it began to eat away at me. Like, I don't feel like a man. What, what am I doing? I'm like napping, you know, and my wife's working. I don't think she knows that to this day, actually. Um, but it really, it really rocked me. And I got really insecure. I mean, really, really, really insecure. I, I didn't know where my worth was coming from. I'd been in ministry right before that, and that was where my worth was coming from. And now I didn't know where it was coming from. And so I got the idea that I think we logically kind of come to, and it was like, I'll go lean on my wife for support. 
I'm going to go take all my insecurity and, and dump it right in her, her arms, and she's going to like affirm me and tell me how great I am and build me up. It didn't work that way. I dumped all my security in her lap, and she freaked out. and was like, who are you? And if, if I'm supposed to hold you up, who's holding me up? I thought you were holding me up. I'm working so hard and all this other stuff and everything that's going on. And, and at the end of the day, I'm leaning on you for strength. I'm leaning on you for strength. And, and now I look down and you're in my arms. Well, who's holding me up? And I learned something through that whole situation. It took a while for me to process it through. And this verse changed it for me. When I'm insecure, when I'm weak, there's, there's one place I'm supposed to go for strength. And that's to, to Christ. I'm supposed to go to him. I'm supposed to weep into the couch. I'm supposed to pray all night if I need to. Get in my car and drive past matters and back. It doesn't matter. But when I'm weak and I cannot lead well, I run to a rock, to a strong tower, to a fortress that I can ground myself in. And that's Christ. He's my head. He's what I look to. Now, my wife also looks to Christ, does she not? She prays to Christ. Um, that's where her relationship is. That's her Savior. But I'm her husband. And when she's weak, I am there so she can lean on me. So that she can bring her ups and downs and her insecurities to me, and I can provide stability. I, I don't think there's anything greater than being able to provide for your family, men. Stability and safety. And that means sometimes you choke down your insecurities and you take them to Christ rather than spitting them out um, and, and destabilizing your wife or your kids. If you're afraid of the dark at night, don't tell your kids. You're going to be waking up with nightmares. Every night, um, you pretend. <laughs> But you need to be strong in Christ. That's the rock. That's where we go to. And we do that for the women. And the last thing is this, respect women. You ever heard the blonde joke um, <laughs> about the blonde who was going to Disneyland and she got close to Disneyland and the sign said, Disneyland left, and so she went home? <laughs> okay. Don't... Don't tell jokes about women. <laughs> That's a hair color joke. It's not a gender joke. Um, I'm just kidding. But in all seriousness, I think the last thing here is, is treat them as the ones that, that are special. And realize that it's pretty darn hard for them to submit to guys that are leading so poorly. Their work is very tough in obeying God in this whole call of theirs. And so instead of teasing them, because, you know, we guys know that there's buttons, you know. And let me just push this button, you know, of guys dominating over women and like, ah, you, you know, that's not God-honoring. You know, it's not. So if you hear it, tell those high school guys, no. Um, when Abraham was pulling that card with Sarah, God called him an idiot. Not in the Hebrew. And, and he's going to call you an idiot too if you 
act so immaturely to women. And so we need to treat women with respect and be careful how we talk in the jokes and the things like that. And I think, I think it's pretty sober that the, I think the hardest thing is this command that's been given to women. And if you read about the rise of early Christianity back in the Roman days, it was the women, it was on the, the backs of women how this whole church really grew and moved forward. And I think you look around the church some, sometimes and we look at women and we go, women really know how to trust God or put their faith in God in a way that I wish men could catch up with. And, and why is that? Because I think God's called them to some pretty tough spiritual things. And they can't do that unless they really learn to just sit at the feet of God and to pray and to receive strength and to arm themselves with hope and with faith and then move out into the world. And I think we have a lot to pray. So here's the thing. As the band's coming up, we're going to do the offering in just a minute. Um, and they're going to come up now. But here's the point. If you want, you can turn to the end of Proverbs, Proverbs 31. It's the very last proverb, and these are the very last couple verses in the whole book of Proverbs. And Proverbs was written by Solomon to his sons, trying to educate his son to become a good king. Okay, do you understand? So this is, you men really listen to this. Instead of disrespecting women, here's where the whole goal is. We should be applauding them. Proverbs says this, her children, the woman who really gets it, this wonderful example of a wife of noble character that has this nobility and this strength to her because she goes through life in this, this way of, of just trusting God and not reacting. This wife of noble character in verse 28, her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. There's nothing better than praising your wife. And we can remind each other that all the time, guys. Have you praised your wife lately? Remind me to praise my wife. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, here we go again, and beauty is fleeting. The externals, these, these other things, go away. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned. And let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Give her the reward that she has earned. And let her works bring her praise at the city gate. The city gate was like the city council and the, the city center and where all the leaders would congregate. And it's saying go right into the middle of the, the, the community. Right into the middle of it and praise your wife. Bring her praise at the gates. Build her up. Affirm her. Love her the way that Christ loves the church. Respect her and honor her. Lead well and set a good example because the calling that she has is a noble one and a difficult one. And so praise her. Publicly praise her. And in all these things, bosses and governments and husbands, and wives, as we submit, and as we trust God, and as we endure, as we're patient, as we forbear, may we realize that the way we live our life reflects on God. It glorifies God when we live well, and when we don't take things into our own hands. So let's pray. Father, um, 
You've called us to difficult things, but you're big enough to deliver on the promises that you've made. And where you call us to go, you will provide. And I just pray that this church, that you would grow our trust in you to such a large degree that we would be able to endure suffering that we shouldn't have to endure. And that somehow in doing that, we would point people to you. And that we would develop a character that's just unmistakable. And I pray that for myself. I pray that for my family. I pray for, pray for this church. I pray for the leaders. Father, grow us into the right kind of people that can follow in the example of your son. In Christ's name, amen.